Martin Brennan is State Director for United States Senator Chuck Schumer. Called by Politico magazine as Schumer's New York brain, Mr. Brennan has an encyclopedic knowledge of New York politics and its players and is a veteran of Schumer's 1998 Senate campaign, officially joining Schumer's staff in 2002. As State Director, Mr. Brennan oversees the entire Schumer team in New York. His duties include oversight of a very active media relations and communications operation. He has co-managed Senator Schumer's several election and re-election campaigns and has managed numerous other campaigns for Congress, Attorney General, as well as for a number of state and local elected officials. Mr. Brennan has a long record as an issue advocate for progressive causes and as a community organizer and also ran a statewide campaign to preserve New York's tenant protection laws. Mr. Brennan serves as a frequent guest on TV and radio programs and this podcast. (laughs) Thank you so much for speaking with me today. It's a pleasure to be here. So this podcast covers media effects and education. And before we delve into that, if you could share with us, you've dedicated over 20 years of your career with Senator Schumer and prior to that for various other politicians. What inspired you to get into politics? Well, it was... uh a strong desire to find a way to impact as many people as possible with as much good as I could possibly, you know, conjure up. And I think a lot of it comes from my parents and their particular viewpoint on the world. They were people who were deeply, deeply engaged in their community. Uh, Both of them were Irish immigrants who met here, met and married in America, and they threw themselves into their new land and wanted to make the best possible home they could for their children. And as a result, I sort of have that in my bones to be a person who is involved. And as you then grow older and you think about what does it mean to be involved, the stage gets a little bigger and a little bigger and a little Mm -hmm. bigger and the law, legislation, organizing, advocacy become vehicles for making the largest community that you're in, the state, the, the nation, the planet, the best possible place it can be. Mm-hmm. And in your career, I'm sure that media has played a critical role in how you have managed messages, campaigning, how you sort of want people to perceive and understand issues. And mm-hmm. do you think that throughout your time, media is used more than ever before? It has always been fundamental. Uh, it has always been from my earliest days as community organizer or a campaign director on a local city council campaign in Cambridge, Massachusetts, to campaigning in Brooklyn to prevent the city from building a giant incinerator, to right up into our last re-election campaign in the United States Senate. Media has always been fundamental to getting the message out because there's only a limited way and a labor-intensive way to do door-to-door or leafleting or phoning or word of mouth or parties, those things can work, but scaling them up immediately become mm-hmm. a challenge. And so if you're, not, if you're not able to do both the things, create community, create organizing, create people power, and then amplify your message through the media, it's, it's almost impossible to fundamentally change the world around you. Mm-hmm. So you have to be able to do both. And when it comes to politics and media effects and the psychology of the user using the media and receiving messages. There are two general areas I'd like to cover, and one is image building, and Mm -hmm. perhaps in the case of Senator Schumer, it's more maintaining or adjusting. 
And the other is agenda setting, which has more to do with issues the candidate or politician is advocating for. Mm -hmm. When it comes to image building, media has changed so much in how we perceive and understand candidates. If we were to start with radio, you have FDR and his fireside chats. And much like this podcast, where people are receiving information purely from an auditory standpoint, they did not really necessarily have the image of him in a wheelchair. And so the power of Mm -hmm. his voice... Mm -hmm. I think had a lot to do with the effectiveness of his image building. And And his very words. That's right, indeed, indeed. My friends, I want to talk for a few minutes with the people of the United States about banking. To talk with the comparatively few who understand the mechanics of banking, but more particularly with the overwhelming majority of you who use banks for the making of deposits and the drawing of checks. And then we had television with both the visual and auditory. And then a lot of people talked about charisma and how they came, how politicians came across on TV and sort of whether they were likable or not. And these are newer terms that came about with Mm -hmm. TV. And you had people like JFK, Obama, that I think for some really sort of meant a lot to be able to see them on television. And mm-hmm. so and, and Ronald Reagan balancing that out to a degree on the Republican right. side with, with the, yes. the, the, the form of charisma and communication he brought to the yes, table. That's yeah. right. And now with social media, I get the impression, and I think scholars are still studying this, there's a sense of another level of intimacy. So we see people on TV, and so we get an auditory as well as a visual cue. But with social media, there's almost a sense of, decrease of a barrier between the politician and the user of a social Mm -hmm. media. And so it seems like there are more personal messages that people are receiving, and they're probably more raw or more genuine. And it's less crafted to a general public, but more towards me, the Mm -hmm. user. Mm -hmm. And how have you seen this dynamic played out? Well, you know, it's a big question to answer because we're in the middle of a fundamental shift. Uh, we're still in the middle of it, literally experiencing it in, in real time. As you're getting a handle on what's going on right now, uh, the speed and the sophistication of the evolution happens you know, right in front of you. So it's a constant challenge to figure out what's going on, master what's going on, and then try to stay ahead of the curve. Trying to do that while also retaining the core image of who you are and what you're about for a a politician, let's say like a Senator Schumer, who had a a clear image before the social media online world was created. And it's not perfectly suited for how this world operates. For instance, you know, you won't see Senator Schumer brushing his teeth in front of the camera real time like Beto O'Rourke, right? So I'm here at the dentist and we're going to continue our series on the people of the border. I'm here with Diana. Diana's going to tell us a little bit about growing up in El Paso. Hi, I'm Diana. I was actually um, born here in El Paso. My mom is from a small town. But that that works Mm -hmm. for, you know, an individual like that who's coming up naturally through that medium and can communicate Mm -hmm. that way in a way that reaches people and impacts them. So there are, it's a media that presents challenges for different individuals on how to, how to access it and how to use it in a way that is uh, genuine. Whereas if you took an older school person who Mm -hmm. then tried to do the same tactic, it would probably backfire in Mm -hmm. their face for good reason. So Mm -hmm. some people are able to use the full 
potency of that medium, uh, and some people cannot. You know, our president right. is one who uses it to its full potency, but perhaps, you know, I would argue not from the, the greatest center of virtue mm-hmm. in terms of what he's putting out there. Mm-hmm. What I'm always impressed about when I go back on Senator Schumer's website is that to this day, he still visits every county, right? Every mm-hmm. one, 62 each year, yep. every year. And how do you see these face-to-face visits compared to what you may see online in the way that other politicians right. interact with well, They're their fundamental to our operation and, and fundamental to the accountability that we want to create with voters as well as delivering materially for the voters. But from a, to go to your earlier point about media, everything we do is broadcast in, in some way. So when we visit the smallest county of the state, Hamilton County, with 5,000 people, which we do every single year, though we've still never won Hamilton <laughs> County in an election, one, one year, one year, we will, we will do it. We will make it happen. <laughs> but even when we go there, there is an effort to amplify your presence by working the media. When I first started, it was traditional media. It was mm-hmm. newspapers, radios, and TVs. We still do those things, even though there's been a very sad and precipitous diminution of the print media in uh, the state of New York and around the country. But we also now find a way to, while we're there, do that offbeat, quirky thing that works for Instagram. And maybe there's a live Facebook you do when you sit down with uh, a, a young Boy Scout and Girl Scout that you didn't know you were going to meet, but you film it and it's great. And then you pop it up. And people mm-hmm. find that really engaging. It's not packaged. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily pre-planned, but sometimes mm-hmm. some of it is. And uh, you you then do both your traditional media press conference, mm-hmm. where you try to drive mm-hmm. your traditional coverage, and you do other things that will become fodder for you know for that for that particular meeting, whether it's Instagram, mm-hmm. Snapchat, Facebook, or Twitter, uh-huh. know, and and try to drive that those multiple platforms with even that simple local visit. So taking that example where you had Senator Schumer met with a Boy Scout or Girl Scout and you put it on social media, whether it was Facebook or Twitter, do you then have someone measure how many views, how many hits, and then say, hey, a lot of people really appreciated that or enjoyed it. Let's do more. We're of still that. learning, right? Mm-hmm, We're learning mm-hmm. the media yeah. a, a, as it goes along, as as I think everybody yeah. is. You know, there are certain masters of it, Absolutely. but but we're we're still learning how to use it and what uh-huh. works and what doesn't work, what attracts attention, and you measure it uh, on one hand by the reach, by how many people you know receive it, and then what's the activity level? How many people are retweeting it, yep. how many people are reposting mm-hmm. it, how many people are commenting on it, mm-hmm. liking it or disliking mm-hmm. it, what are they doing to it? And then there's a, there's a second qualitative way to judge these things. There are certain things you do that have enormous appeal to narrow constituencies that are highly integrated online. Mm-hmm. So we'll do an event in Rochester, New York with the disability community, mm-hmm. which is a community we, we passionately work for and advocate legislative changes, administrative changes that benefit the people in that community. It is a community for good reason that's highly plugged in mm-hmm. online and through social media mm-hmm. because it's been a way that they have created community mm-hmm. when they're sometimes physically unable to be with other people because of various challenges. When we do something with that community and then we sit and have a conversation, it 
lights up within that community. So it might not matter to the whole of the world, yeah. and we might not get a thousand likes, mm -hmm. but we'll get you know ten thousand likes, but we'll get a thousand likes in that community of people who really care about what he's doing. So there's different That's ways right. to measure what you're doing. Sometimes it's penetration within a, a, a targeted community, and sometimes it's the broader base things that. Uh -huh. We'll say something that will slap down uh, Donald Trump's recent proposal for a border wall, mm -hmm. and we'll get millions of people who will say, you know, we like it or we hate it. Right. But you'll, you'll, you'll have a much deeper penetration from huh. an action like that. The Pew Research Center published a study on how the candidates in the 2016 election used social media, and specifically Twitter, to get to this image building and also making a connection with their users. Mm -hmm. Over a three-week period in 2016, May 11th to May 23rd. So some of the findings that I wanted to highlight, you had all three candidates tweet pretty much the same number in that two-week period. You had Donald Trump having 240 tweets, Hillary Clinton 228, and Bernie Sanders 246. What's interesting, though, is that the responses or the Twitter retweets very dramatically where you have Donald Trump had 5,947 retweets. Hillary Clinton had 1,581 retweets and Bernie Sanders 2,463. Mm -hmm. Any thoughts on those yeah, numbers? I mean, I, I can't qualitatively go back and, and say, hey, in real time, what each of them were doing. But with Mr. Trump, we know. My feeling on him is that he was birthed through the New York City tabloid environment as a media beast. And in that environment, you have to learn how to be larger than life, big time, breakthrough, shocking. It's, it's a form of media where that behavior was really paid attention to. He became a master of that form of media. It turns out that the thing that is the front page bold face headline, uh, to quote Billy Joel in, in the tabloids, works perfectly as a little mortar shell that you drop into the cannon for social media. You know, whether it was making fun of uh, his now HUD secretary, making fun of him pretending to get stabbed in the belt. And that drove me, you know, social media wild for, you know, 48 hours until he found a new thing mm. to drive social mm -hmm. media wild. So he's very good at coming up with the things that are edgy, provocative, outrageous. So it surprises me not the least mm -hmm. that he would have exponentially greater retweets, likes, mm -hmm. shares, hates, all those things uh, on, on social media where it, that became a fundamental uh, platform to launch him into the presidency. Another statistic that the Pew Research Center reported in this study is, and, and this part actually surprised me more, was that none of the candidates really retweeted that much of mm -hmm. what other people were tweeting about them. But Trump, when he did, he retweeted the most about the general public. So 78% of his retweets had to do with people he didn't know, mm -hmm. but who supported him and liked his posts and just would quote that again and say, true, exclamation point, retweet, put that out there. Right. Hillary Clinton, 0%. Bernie Sanders, 
Bernie Sanders, 2%. Interesting. And what strikes me as something that could have affected the public perception is what I said earlier and what you've intimated as well, saying that maybe there's this barrier that was broken down of, oh, he retweeted what I said, you know, and so I feel more connected to him in some way. Sure. And and Um, and hence, that's the power of Twitter, right? It's not mediated, Mm -hmm. right? That's what makes it different. Mm -hmm. It's injected straight into the bloodstream of the body politic. And the fact that the hero or anti-hero up on the screen stops what they're doing, turns around, and like a Woody Allen movie, that starts talking to you. Mm-hmm. And, and that's an extraordinary <laughs> thing. And and it's also done in a way that the rest of the world watching Twitter and experience Twitter mm-hmm. see it at the same time. Like, that's oh, right. he's talking to that person. Right. He's a real person, yeah. you know, paying attention to that real person in Akron, Ohio, or wherever they happen to live, and making a real-world connection. So it's both um, human at one level and also theatrical immediately because it's being sent to the entire Twitterverse of his, you know, large, you know, legion of followers. Mm -hmm. It's just such a contrast to what Senator Schumer does, where he actually goes and meets people, really connects them. And I don't think anyone could deny the value of face-to-face over a retweet. No, you know, for a guy like Senator Schumer, to do it differently would be not being true to the core of who he is as a person. Mm -hmm. And once Mm -hmm. you lose that, then you are really operating in a very dangerous zone as a politician. Yeah. People have a tendency to sniff that out. Mm -hmm. The other area that I had mentioned about just the way in which media and politics and with this in particular news has really had an interesting interplay is this topic of agenda setting, which is the ability of media and particularly news media to influence the importance placed on topics in the public arena. Mm -hmm. And agenda setting from a cognitive perspective works where the more you see something, the more easy it is to access in our memories. And so we Mm -hmm. set these sort of shortcuts, cognitive shortcuts to say, oh, I, I remember reading that. I remember seeing that on my social media feed or Twitter, Facebook, et cetera. And in seeing the frequency, we give more salience to that issue, whether it is true or Mm -hmm. not. But Mm -hmm. when people are asked, you know, what are some of the most important issues of our time? And this has been proven since the 1968 presidential election. McCombs and Shaw, they conducted a study among residents in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, asking them what the greatest concerns were of the time during that election And they said, please rank, regardless of what the politicians say, what are the two, three, four main things which you think the government should concentrate on or do something about? And the results showed a very strong rank order correlation between citizens' concerns and political issues covered by all the news sources, Mm -hmm. local Mm -hmm. newspapers, the New York Times, um, Newsweek, which was around that time, as well as... um, evening broadcasts, NBC, CBS, evening shows. And the rank was foreign policy, law and order, fiscal policy, public welfare, and civil rights. From the Pew Research Center, in their survey of adults, asking them what the greatest concerns are, and this was published in January of 2019, economy, healthcare, terrorism, then there's a bit of a gap, jobs, and budget deficit. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to hear your reaction to what agenda setting is and how it's played in your role, what you see around yeah. the world, and especially with this campaign coming up. Well, it's look, it's a complicated situation to mm-hmm. you know to, in terms of how that happens. It is dynamic. I'm not sure that there's any you know 
uh, surefire formula for how things work. So take, for instance, the recent explosion of interest around global warming, climate change, and as you know, packaged and manifested through the Green New Deal, let's say. Uh, if you look back at the last presidential election or even almost probably the recent election that we went through, you wouldn't find, I don't think, in main media publications lots and lots and lots of coverage about climate change. And you probably wouldn't have found voters saying that that's their number one issue. I doubt you would find a lot of polls that said that, and certainly mm-hmm. not in the last presidential election, where it barely even scratched the surface of the various presidential debates. It's hard to imagine, going into this presidential cycle, that it won't be a very big part of both, uh, certainly of the Democratic side of the debate and the Republican. And that's sort of an example, going back to you know where we were at the beginning of this, how activism, organizing, and agitation can play a role in agenda setting. Hmm. And very recently and, and very aggressively, young people in the Sunshine Movement and elsewhere have found a way to force that issue onto the front burner of what is being covered by being good at social media, by being good at traditional media than driving both of those platforms, and being good at organizing by putting real people power together. Mm-hmm. So that's an example of, of something from the outside coming in and changing the agenda. How do you recommend, or if you ha- were to speak to a classroom <laughs> of teenagers and say, you know, you are not really passive receivers. You are influencing, you can use the Parkland example, yeah. or and I'm sure many others, that you are as much creating what you see. Like yeah. there is a feedback loop. Yeah. And also you need to diversify the views that you're receiving. So it's very curated for us. Mm-hmm. There's a sense, an increasing sense of homophily, the sense that, you know, I, I will associate only with the people yeah. that align with my views and an echo chamber occurs. And it, that is, I think, one of the direct results of social media. But how would you encourage our youth to educate themselves more and be more proactive? Because there are studies that have shown that the more one takes a role in their education, especially Mm -hmm. with politics, the more well-informed they are. They Mm -hmm. read more long-form articles instead of these headlines and really get involved in an issue or issues in a way that's never really feasible with these headlines. For that, I would go go right back to to my mother and father. And it's about being directly involved in your community, whether Mm. that community is a Mm -hmm. physical space, that community is a group of people in your high school who um, all believe with you that we, you know, shouldn't allow them to build this new expressway right through the heart of this neighborhood, whether we want more parkland in a place that we noticed that our community has less parkland than any other neighborhood in, in the city. What is it that, you know, that in your, you know, the place where you live, and however that space is defined, that is motivational that you care about, or that you look around and who's doing something that you admire, get involved, get in the mix. You know, democracy is not a free ride. In, in the words of the Declaration, it, you know, it's not just a right, it's a duty. Mm-hmm. It's a duty. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's not just your right. It, you have to be actively engaged in this process to make it work for you. There's a line that I often used when I was, you know, doing a lot of organizing of students, and, and that's, a, you, you're not just learners of history, you're makers of history. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you're involved, if you engage, if you learn these various tactics 
that enable you to deliver messages through the media, enable you to put people together into group action, uh, enable to talk truth to power, enable to set the agenda and do all those sorts of things, you will literally change the outcome yeah. of what is happening right now. You may not win every battle, but you will influence the outcome of what is happening. And that, you know, we just need to do lots more of that at every level of our society. But it starts with engagement at whatever community you find yourself in and not, not being a passive person, yeah. you know? And I think everything then flows from that. And there's a, huma there's a human element to it. It's not just virtual. That's mm -hmm. fine. Mm -hmm. That's, there's nothing inherently wrong with it. And it can be corralled for great effect. But it's sometimes easy and a shortcut, and it has an, a, the tendency to diminish and crowd out real human interaction, mm -hmm. and that's tragic. Yeah. So you've got to find ways to make sure that, especially for youth now that are raised with um, a device in their hands before they have a pacifier, the ways that you make sure you nurture right. those human connections. Right, right. There's a term I've often read called slacktivism, where yeah. <laughs> liking something, okay, I supported that cause, done. That's right, you know? that's yeah. right. Um, right. Sent my $15 to that's that. That's right, yeah. that's right. <laughs> I'm in, I'm done. My presidential work right. is done here. Right. Thank you very right. much. <laughs> yeah, but no, I agree fully, and I appreciate your speaking with me and sharing yeah. your thoughts on how- A pleasure to be here. We can learn more and sort of be more active. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you very much. For speaking with me.